0: Coming to you from Silicon Valley, I'm Marcus Edwards and I'm on the hunt for recruiting leaders, producers, innovators, and pioneers who've made their mark on the industry and can't wait to share their points of view. We'll tackle the tough topics and dig deep to find the answers you're looking for and some actionable advice you can take to the bank. So stick around and stay tuned, and welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers. I'm very excited to welcome my guest today. Adrienne Dinkalaka is the co-founder of The Atlas Group, a boutique tech recruitment firm that she runs with her sister, Laureen. Adrienne has over 15 years of recruitment experience working in agency and in-house. And when she's not at her desk, she's dancing the night away. Salsa and Kizomba are her favourite. So welcome to the podcast, Adrienne Dinkalaka. How are you?
1: Thank you so much, Marcus. I'm great. How are you?
0: Fantastic. Thanks. Good to have you on the podcast. And I must just say one thing, because you just told me you're from Philadelphia. So,
1: yo, Adrian. Yes, yo, Adrian.
0: (laughs) I bet you've never heard that before.
1: Every day of my life growing up in Philly. Oh my gosh. Yes. Love it.
0: That's brilliant. So you're the founder of the Atlas Group with your sister. Yes. Which is a recruitment agency. Just give us a quick description of, of, of what your company does.
1: Yeah, so we do recruiting, we do uh, contingency engaged and retained search uh, in the tech field. And one of the things that we focus on over the years is uh, on our end, making sure that we present diverse pools of candidates. Um, so that's one side of it is the recruiting. And then we also help job seekers through the job search process. We have a podcast called Hack the Interview, and we help candidates uh, that we're not placing in roles with interview prepping, mock interviews, and things like that.
0: Excellent. Yeah. In fact, in the pre-chat, you said that that was really one of your key passions, and we're going to get into that later on in the conversation about how you actually prepare candidates for interview. But you decided that there wasn't enough money to be made just doing that. So you'd have to start your own recruitment company. Am I about right?
1: You know what? It was interesting. So how how I ended up getting started was recruiting. uh, I was working in recruiting and then kind of doing deals on the side as a side hustle. And I had uh, someone that I had worked with from years ago. He uh, was working with me as well. But when 2020 hit, um, my sister got laid off, and she's been in tech recruiting for eight years. Uh, agency of recruiter, million dollar biller. She went in house, and when she got laid off, I was like, "This is the perfect opportunity. Come, we have a business set. Let's let's do this." And so uh, when she came on board, it was in 2020. And at that time, we were both getting calls from family, friends, friends of friends, help me with my resume. I just got laid off. I need help here and there. And so with our experience and knowing how to navigate the system of uh, the hiring processes, we thought, wow, we're really helping people already. Why don't we try to like build build this and see what happens? And so we spent time on that. We uh, created some programs. We hosted uh, a few courses uh, for people going through the job search process. But in doing that, we were also getting calls from, uh, colleagues, people that we used to work with. And they were saying, Hey, we have this opening at the company that we're working at. Can you help us fill it? We're like, Sure. Yeah. And so and then we start getting more recs. And as the recs are coming in, you know, we're, we're charging 25 to 30% of a first year salary. Those fees are so much bigger than charging, you know, a few hundred bucks for, uh, Right. Uh, these services. So we thought, why don't we actually focus more in on the recruiting side so we can have a business that, that flourishes, we can have a lot of money coming in, and then offer services at a lower cost for, for job seekers, especially during that time of 2020, 2021, of uh, people really wanting to navigate the process. And we didn't feel comfortable charging thousands of dollars to them to go through our, our stuff. We wanted to offer it at a at a rate that was accessible.
0: Yeah. So your recruitment agency was meant to be. I mean, it was just, it was born out of a need in the marketplace. That's a beautiful it, thing.
1: It was, it was just so naturally organic. It's, you know, and all of our business right now is, uh, we, we, I just looked through it. It has all come from relationships that we've had, um, or companies that have been referring us. So it's, it's meant to be, I think we're in the right space at the right time.
0: So you don't do a ton of business development?
1: We do do business development, but what ends up coming is all this, is, is the referrals and then the, the re-engaging of, the, of the, the roles through the companies.
0: Yeah. And referral business is always the best business because when someone's referred to you, you're automatically the expert when you start talking to them. You don't have to sell them on your ability as a recruiter. Um, you're consulting with them from day one and it's a much more powerful relationship out of the gate. You don't have to prove anything because you've been referred. And that's the best exactly. kind of business in my book.
1: Exactly. And we've also seen a lot of people move in organizations. So, you know, we may have a con- uh, contract with one company, but the CTO leaves to go to another company. And then here we are, and you know, now with that relationship. So it's, it's been good.
0: Yeah. I think I've won most of the business that I've ever done by candidates who've then moved to other companies and decided that they'd like to, you know, utilize my services as a recruiter and then you position as a leader somewhere else. And it's so, really
1: incredible the, the relationships that we build, whether they're clients or candidates are so important you never know uh, what will come even people that we help in job search processes we've gotten contracts through that.
0: yes, absolutely Any way that you can build a bridge with somebody authentically and and really get to understand them and what makes them tick is going to set you up for success later on and uh, I'm always preaching this both on the podcast and and when I post, about the importance of of building those relationships before you start doing anything like trying to sell a role to people or trying to sell your services to people. I mean, I think the modern sort of sales mantra is you need to achieve a degree of awareness and you need to build that relationship before, before you put your sales hat on and start selling, right?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, we're being sold to all the time, you know, billboards, our emails, text messages. It's like we're constantly inundated with information and People trying to sell us and I don't like that feeling. So, you know, I try not to, to give that out into the world. Uh, but I think that there is a way of, of selling that um, can feel good and, and be helpful for people and help to really give value and fill a need.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's more about putting yourself in a position or your company in a position where people can choose to buy from you. And then you've got to drive value into that relationship without selling and then basically be there for when they need you. And when they want to choose you over any other number of services, they might have options on. Anyway, um, would you consider your company to be a niche player in the market? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Describe your niche.
1: Yeah. I think our niche, um, you know, this may be a little bit controversial, but I think, you know, in one way, uh, being having a focus on, um, diversifying the candidate pool. So what I mean by that is just making sure that we're, um, hitting a number of different areas and really searching high, low, everywhere for, for top talent and presenting all of the candidates. It's not about, um, excluding anybody. It's about including people in the process. So I think that's kind of one of our, some of the reasons why some of our clients choose to work with us. Other, others don't care about that. But I think, you know, us being in tech and then having, Um, that focus internally for us to uh, ensure that we're um, including uh, people through uh, our interview process, I think is a differentiator.
0: Right. And so you would say that it's important to you to present a spectrum of candidates from all different backgrounds. Yes. Yeah. And what are some of the more unusual places that you found candidates other than just obviously the big one being LinkedIn recruiter?
1: Yeah, LinkedIn Recruiter is great. Uh, you know, utilizing groups and uh different communities with you know on the internet is super helpful. There's so many different niches that uh of people that are connecting, that want to connect, that want jobs, that want to hear from other people. And so really tapping into those uh groups, which can be found on LinkedIn, uh, there's groups on Slack, um, there's groups all over the place so you can really, you know, hone down and identify um, you know, who else do I want to be connecting with or what, what things are they interested in and kind of go in there and give value, you know, don't just go in there and sell, but what can you add to the conversation? How can you be uh, a a connector within the group and uh, build relationships?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important not to go in there and try and transact inside those groups as well. As much as it is on LinkedIn, when you're posting on your feed, I don't think people are achieving a lot of success from posting jobs on their feed I think most people who are successful on LinkedIn are just starting really interesting conversations and, and building an audience around that, specifically in the niche that they're maybe recruiting in, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There's some groups where, you know, they're there definitely people are active and giving value. And there's other groups where it becomes this job board. And you see people just posting jobs. And uh, there's really not a lot of engagement in those groups. So.
0: Right. It's funny because yeah. when I asked you the question about niche, I thought you were going to say about the technical niche that you're in rather Mm. than that's more of a horizontal niche. But I mean, what kind of people are you placing just out of interest?
1: Yeah, we're placing uh, engineers, product uh, people, designers.
0: Mainly in the tech vertical?
1: Yep, absolutely. We have had some physical therapy openings and some other kind of things. Oh, interesting. Offshoots. Um, I come from a heavy background of uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, recruiting Um, so I'll get those here and there, but like 90% of our business is tech.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, your company has been born out of the COVID era and there've been some real challenges there, but obviously the market's been hot recently, but what were some of the early mistakes that you made? What would you go back and tell yourself right now?
1: I think the first thing actually is uh, where do you open up, where do you put your business? Where do you open it? And so living in Los Angeles, I opened up the business in Los Angeles and then you get a tax bill from the city of Los Angeles and you're like, what? I have to owe this much money? So I think um, number one, like, you know, being a little bit more strategic in terms of where you're opening up your business for tax benefits. And I think number two would be um, looking at the people that you're bringing in. Um, uh, and it's interesting as a recruiter, you know, I feel like I can ask all of the right questions and, uh, listen and help other people. But then when it comes to me and my business and, uh, being objective is one thing, but then once the emotions for me, at least start getting involved of, oh my gosh, I really like this person. They're not hitting their metrics, but they're trying, but you know, and, um, pouring in and really like trying all of these different avenues, but looking at the metrics to see this really just isn't working. So I think one of the things that um, I've really learned is to fire faster and to really like keep on the path of uh, accountability and consequences.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important in this business as well, when it comes to sort of grooming new recruiters to measure people in the first sort of three to six months on, activity and effort and attitude even more than results. Because as we all know, the people who are most successful in this industry are also the most resilient. You know, they have the most grit and they are the most persistent as well. And I think anybody who can evidence that ability, that sort of, that real true resilience can be very successful in this market. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer than three or even six months to get going, right? Right.
1: Yes, Marcus. I actually have a personal story about this. Uh, when I first started out recruiting, I got my—I was in an agency—and I got the fir- my first deal in 13 days, and it was the
0: world record the quickest
1: turnaround ever. Yeah, like amazing. And so I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to be fantastic at this. It took me I think 11 more months to get my next deal after that.
0: Oh my goodness! But you lost it. I mean, you stuck I the course. I lost it.
1: I stuck the course, but it was so challenging. I literally had to change like the fabric of who I was almost just in terms of, I think one of the big things for me is I had the resiliency, but for me, I would take things at face value without really like digging in and asking questions and like really understanding. So I had some really great bosses that helped me to really use that inquisitive nature and try to like really understand the psychology between my clients and my candidates so I could make those deals because I was a full life cycle recruiter, 100% commission, working on a draw. So, right. um, if, you weren't, was, if
0: you were a salaried recruiter, you might have lost your job because 11 yeah. months is a long time to go without a deal in the agency business, um, yes. which is really distressing because that's the reason why a lot of people don't make it in the first year because that resilience isn't there. So if they go three or six months without doing a deal or making a placement, quite often they just opt out before they're fired, which I think is really sad. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's definitely a two-way street and it's important for leaders in the industry, you know, to really guide and help and build that resilience and that mindset that ultimately helps you become very successful, which is, you know, you've got to embrace the bad stuff as well as the good stuff and know that it's Mm -hmm. part of your journey to become a successful recruiter, right?
1: Yeah. Did you have any tips? I know that you've been um, you've managed people too. Like, do you have tips for people to build resiliency? Like, how do you do that as a as a leader?
0: Um, honestly, I have a profound belief that to build mental resiliency, you have to build physical resiliency. And so, I've always been a an obsessive uh, indoor cyclist and a spinning instructor. I've actually taught over a thousand spin classes now, and I find that exercising and really putting myself outside of my comfort zone physically um, forces me to have a much stronger mental attitude as well. So that's my number one sort of tip um, for building resiliency. But the other one would be how you deal with rejection. And I think it's most important that you, when you experience rejection and disappointment in this business, it's how you actually manage that inside your brain that matters. And if it's not personal, in fact, somebody said this on the podcast recently, it was last week, it was Jeanette Harvey said this to me, she said, if it's not personal, then don't take it personally. Um, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the services that you offer. And so I think it's important to sort of like compartmentalize what rejection really is, and actually see it as an opportunity to move on because you've achieved a decision out of somebody, whether it's a candidate or a client, and just see that as a stepping stone to success because there are, there's no way that you can, every transaction you're involved in as a recruiter is going to be successful. You have to experience more rejection than you do acceptance and success. Doesn't that make sense? Absolutely. And so make it a part of your journey, embrace it. And in fact, going way back to my very first job, when I was selling advertising space in London, my very first boss, she said to me, Marcus, hunt the nose. Because when you get used to receiving the nose and dealing with the nose, the yeses will soon follow. And she was right.
1: Yes, it's so true. And and I've seen recruiters come in and go so fast because it's the, the quick hits and the it, it's not really here. <laughs> A lot of the times, especially in agency, recruit- in agency recruitment, I love those tips you shared.
0: I'd also like to say, I'm not always the most resilient person. I mean, these are the things I know and these are the things that I do, but I'm subject to the same level of rejection and disappointment that everybody is in this business. And sometimes it gets you down. Sometimes there are days when you literally can't recover from it. And I think that's okay too, as long as you know that the, you know, the sun will shine again tomorrow or the next day. And you mustn't beat yourself up about the rejection and the disappointment that you feel and you experience because it comes to all of us. And sometimes you just have to sort of like walk away from it and go do something else for a while. So I don't think there's anybody out there who's perfect. I'm far from perfect. And, um, you know, I've just never figured out what else to do with my life. Like most recruiters, how many people do you know who didn't stumble into recruiting? Not many. No, I don't think, I think today more and more people are actually planning a career in recruitment because of the explosion of internal recruitment. But I never met anybody, you know, back in the day or fairly recently who always wanted to be a recruiter. Most of them stumbled into it. I had a friend who called me up and said, hey, I'm working in recruitment. It's really cool. I'm making good money. You know, come and have a chat. And that's how I found my way to it. I was I was selling advertising space, as I told you at the time. And then I've been a recruiter ever since or in the recruitment industry as a leader as well. So, um, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting.
1: it? It is. Yeah. And for me, I remember I was in college and I had to do an internship and I was working full time, going to school full time. And all the internships at Penn State were, were free internships. And I'm like, I can't afford a free internship. I need to get, I need some money here. So I remember taking this class in human resources and I did not like the human resources class. But I remember as I was like online going through the yellow pages at the time, I'm like, let me see if there's any recruiting companies in Philadelphia. And I started calling and I got a job offer for $11 an hour. And I was like, yes, this is great. And started out, um, I think, sourcing or admin work and then ended up moving up through there.
0: So to a large extent, you are in the recruitment industry on purpose.
1: I guess, but yeah. It, yeah. There you go. yeah.
0: That's great. Let's talk about technology for a second. I mean, technology has become a big part of what we do as recruiters, and I think it's important to leverage it in the right way. What kind of technology do you embrace as an agency and how do you use it?
1: I think, you know, the tech stack that we use is pretty, I think, standard for most uh, companies of our size. We utilize an applicant tracking system. Uh, We use Loxo for that. Uh, we use LinkedIn, LinkedIn Recruiter. And um, we use the phone and we use texting and emailing.
0: And how are your response rates these days on LinkedIn Recruiter? Have you seen them change over the last year or so?
1: You know what? Uh, me and my sister were just talking. We just said in the last month, the response rates have been going up. Oh, so we're excited about that. Um, so I think people were kind of you know, really more staying put just based off of everything that was going on in the entire world. Um, but we've been seeing a lot more people um, uh, reaching back out this past month.
0: Yeah, there's definitely more volatility in the market today. If you look at the financial markets, you know, there's lots of yes. crazy things happening right now. So I think people are becoming maybe more open to the idea of having um, a backup plan just in case. Yes. And so that means higher response rates, which is which is great. Um. What, what about on the candidate side? I mean, what's your philosophy around the way in which you deal with a candidate when you first speak to them on the phone or when you first reach out to somebody on the phone? Are you into personalization? Um, how do you structure those initial conversations? Tell me about your sort of candidate philosophy.
1: Sure. I mean, I think the candidate philosophy is like a human philosophy in the sense of there's another human on the phone um, that. Has their own life, their day, things going on in their environment, things like that. So if we have a a call scheduled with it, with a candidate, I'm connecting with them, um, making sure that now is still a good time for them. Um, Also listening to, to, are there things in the background that, you know, are going on? Are they in the car driving? Are they, is there a baby in the background? And not that there's anything wrong with those things, but just being able to bring like awareness or say, Hey, it sounds like you may be driving. Is now still a good time? Or sounds like there's, Stuff in the background is now still a good time. If you need to get going at any point, please let me know. And I think that bringing awareness to what is in their environment is helps to bridge a gap of, um, you know, that I'm there and I'm listening to them. I'm not just going through my spiel. And um, the first step is just letting them know, like, for me at least, like, what the context is of the call, who I am, what this call would be about or could be about. And that I'm really there to get to know who they are, what they're looking for. And, uh, if this role is not a fit, I work with other companies and, you know, if, if this isn't it, we, you know, there could be things down the road. Um, and then just really having a conversation with them about who they are, what their situation is going through their work experience, what they like, what they don't like, you know, what are they looking for? Perfect position, ideal opportunity. And, um, and And talking to them throughout it. So I'm not just drilling them with questions, but as they're bringing things up, I'm then sharing information as well about the role or the position and how it could fit or how it may not be a fit. So it's really conversational.
0: Yeah, that's a great philosophy. And that's, that's pretty much, you know, my philosophy as well. In fact, I posted about it yesterday on LinkedIn and it's already got about 20,000 views, um, which is the acronym that I use is SAMS, which is Situation, Aspirations, Motivations, Skills. And if you sort of explore those four areas, even before you share the specific role, then the worst case scenario is you've built a great relationship with this candidate for the future, um, which can yield all sorts of good things like referrals and recommendations and advice and all that good stuff, Um, even if your role isn't a perfect fit. But then it puts you in the really important situation. And here's the difference between a relationship recruiter and a transactional recruiter a transactional recruiter has to say is this a role is this a role that sounds interesting to you whereas a relationship recruiter says i've got just the right role for you because i completely understand your situation aspirations motivations and skills and so once you get yourself into that position you're in a very powerful position as a recruiter to be able to influence and impact your candidate from that day forward
1: absolutely and and we're we're more like consultants we're we're helping to you know, find a match where match, like I see us as matchmakers and really understanding both sides. I'm not here to sell anything to anybody that they don't want, you know? And to me, that's, I think where a lot of recruiters kind of get that bad name is I'm, I'm not trying to push anybody into a, a a position that doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't work for anybody. So I'm really there to, to help both sides, to make sure it's a great match.
0: Yeah. You're looking for a win-win
1: Exactly. You're not selling anything. No, I'm not selling anything. I'm just facilitating, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And communicating You're... and listening. It's
0: great. Great philosophy. Now, I know one of your passions is the interview process, as you mentioned earlier, and and how to help streamline the experience from both a hiring manager perspective and a candidate perspective. But looking at the interviewer side of the equation first, what do you think of the interview process in general? And What are some of the problems that you think need solving in the way that interviews are conducted today?
1: That's a great question, uh, Marcus. And, you know, as an outside recruiter, I think there's many different things that I can see. Um, One thing I think for startups is, you know, there, there may be such a push and such excitement to hire talent fast that they don't have a process in place. And you may think, well, why do we need a process? It's just a few of us, and we just need to get these people on. Do they Can they do the job? Do they fit the culture? Let's go. But the reason why an, a process is important is because it, the process is the same for everybody that goes through it. And it creates a system. So there's you know, certain questions that you're asking people. There's follow-up times. So if you, someone's doing an interview, you're getting back to them within 24 hours. Yeah. You know what the next step is. So if they've met with the hiring manager, now you need to do um, a technical whiteboard. You're not figuring it out after that first step. You're not going, oh, crap, I just interviewed this great candidate. Let me put together the, the test the take home or the whiteboard. So mm-hmm. really coming up with those processes like ahead of time really helps save a lot of time and candidates can feel when the process is not aligned, when it's not streamlined um, and when it's jolted. Um, I also think too shortening down the interview process um, can also be helpful. We had one candidate with a pretty a global consulting firm. It took them four months to go through uh, uh, the interview process and think, God, he's still, he was still around and engaged in the process. But I think, you know, in recruiting, I don't know if you've heard this term, I'm sure you have, time kills deals. So
0: Time kills all deals.
1: All deals. So you have to move fast. And so the longer you have on the processes, the higher chance you have of losing people.
0: And also I think it's important to create an intentional candidate experience. Because if you just throw a candidate to the wolves and say, interview this person, tell me what you think, you're introducing all sorts of potential bias. You're introducing all sorts of potential subjectivity problems. And if there isn't a proper process there, you're probably not doing a particularly good job of showcasing the culture of the organisation or the way that that person will ultimately sort of fit in or be treated by their colleagues and their leadership team, et cetera, if they were to join that company. And I think really good companies and I'm always repeating this quote from Heike Hiss at Box. She says, we obsess as much over the candidate experience through the interview process as we do over the customer experience when they're buying our product. and Because we want everybody who goes through the interview process to become an advocate for our company, whether or not they get the job.
1: I love that. It's, it's whole 360, right? It's the holistic view of business and working with people. It's not just... You know, you're talking about transactional recruiting. It's like, yeah, when you're just interviewing people and not thinking about who they are and how they're experiencing the process, you're really losing out. Another thing that just came up was um, also how are people being graded, right? You can come up with your questions. But if it's, there isn't kind of a system of who's a A, B, C, D candidate, it becomes super subjective. And if the teams aren't getting together to talk about the, the, the person the interviewee, you're also losing out on everybody's feedback that had connected with that candidate.
0: Yeah. And you you have to achieve a level of like equitability so that every candidate has a similar experience and there's there's fairness in the way they're being evaluated through the process. It's not just like, hey, would you have a beer with that person kind of a thing? And Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm afraid I was a part of that problem for a while. I remember thinking that that was really important a long, long time ago now. But I remember thinking, you know, would I have a beer with this person? But, you know, there there may be a part of that that's still slightly relevant. But I think today, when you evaluate a candidate, you're evaluating their ability to sort of make an impact, do the job, bring ideas to the table and positivity and be a culture ad, I think is the new cliche that people like to use, as opposed to a culture fit, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and there's so much that we can get from people that bring something different to the table, different yes. ideas, different, different ways of seeing things. Yes, it's, it's it's really an expanded view.
0: Yeah, and that's really what diversity is all about, is perspective. Bringing really new is. perspectives and fresh perspectives and different perspectives to the workplace. Um, I've also thought that untrained interviewers have a mindset for looking for flaws in candidates that they're interviewing rather than sort of being a champion for that candidate. Cause it's much easier to be a critic than it is to be like a champion. Don't you think?
1: I, I think so, Marcus. It's so funny. It's like, sometimes I think these untrained interviewers are thinking, how, how can I not make this work? How can it's like, I'm like, do they want to fill this job? <laughs> yeah. Because the, the mindset would be how, how can we make this work?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How does this work?
0: Yeah. And there are no perfect candidates. And this is the speech I always give my clients. There are no perfect candidates. So please, when you sit down with this individual, they've got an incredible attitude, because I love the whole hire for attitude, train for skills approach to recruiting. Um, Look for reasons why you would want to hire them, not for reasons why you wouldn't, and see whether they sort of add up to enough for you to make an investment in this individual. But um, that's a whole other topic is you know, whether you should be recruiting people who are moving laterally or whether you should be recruiting people who are moving up. And I much prefer looking for up and comers.
1: Absolutely. Same here.
0: Excellent stuff. Um, well, on the other side of the fence, let's sort of, you know, finish up our conversation by talking about the work that you do with candidates to help them. And this is really interesting stuff. The work that you do with candidates to help them really understand the interview process and prepare properly for the interview process, because you've got some incredible techniques that you share with candidates, right?
1: Yes. So, you know, it depends on what the interview process is. So if it's a technical interview, I mean, my job, if, if I have, if I am working with a candidate that is connected with my client, um, is to help them do the best that they can. So if I, you know, have information on what the technical interview is going to be like, who the interviewers are, how can I help to make this a win-win for both parties. Um, but on a deeper level of that, uh, I do, we do go through uh, behavioral interviewing techniques mm-hmm. to help prepare candidates for answering those questions.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about behavioral questions for a minute, because like a typical behavioral question would be, tell me about a time where you had a really big problem at work with your boss and what did you do about it, right? And then do you use the STAR method?
1: Yes. Yep. Use the STAR method. Describe and that. Yeah. So you what you want to do is you do situation, task, action, and result. And so we'll send out to our candidates a little spreadsheet that they can fill out. That um, just helps to organize their thoughts and how to communicate this. So what can happen is that when people get asked behavioral interview questions, they go super general or they think that they'll have the answers to the question. But then when the time comes, they're fishing for stories. So we send them the star worksheet and ask them to come up with stories based off of conflict resolution, leadership, teamwork, and they can start flushing stories out. And that way, when they get asked these situations or behavioral questions, they're ready to go. They have the stories ready. And the reason why that's important, too, is because when you're telling a story and communicating, you come across more confident, organized when you're prepared. Right. Um, and then also when you have the structure set, it is uh, just really easy to for the interviewer to hear because you're speaking in a language in a way that they can understand you. So it's not every day that we have to communicate in this way. But if you are interviewing, you're kind of expected to give an answer by showing what you did. And if you're not used to speaking in that way, it can be challenging for some people. And one example is, uh, you know, women specifically when talking about teamwork, they may use a lot of we did this, we did this, our team did this, our team did that. And if you're listening as an interviewer and you're not trained, you could be like, okay, did she do anything? I'm not hearing any I statements in that. Super general. I'm going to not, it doesn't sound like she gave any impact to that. I'm going to continue to move on. And really that person could have been a great fit for the job, but she did not know how to answer that question and communicate in a way that was effective. So um, with our candidates, we go through that process so that they have a better chance of communicating their stories that are true and that help showcase who they are and and the value that they bring.
0: I think that's such a great philosophy to answering interview questions rather than having to be asked, you know, tell me about a time. You you offer it up. You tell them a story which actually evidences objectively rather than subjectively what happened in a certain situation that that complements and answers the question accurately. And then it makes for a much more interesting conversation. And I think storytelling is, is just much more consumable when you're giving examples like that and telling stories than if you're just sort of giving very dry, non-anecdotal answers to questions, which can be a very boring way of answering a question. So anyway, I'm waffling, but storytelling is the key to what you're teaching people to do when they're successfully interviewing, correct?
1: Absolutely yes, and we, we tell people even if you're not being asked these behavioral interview questions, if you have an opportunity, if the interviewer is saying, "Hey, we're really looking for someone that can do X, X, and X," you can then say, "Oh, that's awesome! I actually know how to do that perfectly." There was this, at my last job, I da, da 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 da, and you're showcasing yourself in a way that is palpable, understandable, and attractive.
0: Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, there's obviously a few interview questions out there that nobody really likes answering. And, um, one of them, and probably my least favorite interview question is what's your biggest weakness? How do you answer that? Oh
1: my gosh. Okay. So my, my, uh, prep on that is to look at the job description and look at the skills that they're looking for. Okay. So if there's skills in there, if they're looking for someone that's detail oriented, do not, I repeat, do not give an example of how you are not detail oriented you will kick yourself out of the role. So (laughs) just be aware that I always tell people, you know, use the job description as your cheat sheet, even for preparing for your interview. But for specific example, for that question, I would say, choose something again, that's not on the job description. Let's say um, it's a person who's in like a production uh, producer role or something. This is actually a real example. And um, she had gotten asked, you know, what's your biggest weakness? And she said, well, um, one of my biggest weaknesses is that I'm like a yes person. I get really excited very quickly and I say yes to projects very fast. And this has actually hurt me in my last job. I said yes and it didn't turn out well because I had to push the timeline back and the job got done, but it was delayed. And so what I've learned from that now is to really just take a beat and uh, ask for some time. And so I can figure out a solution whether or not I can say yes or no. And a recent example of that was in this current position, a client asked if I could take on something additional. I said, hold on, give me a minute. And I um, sat with it. I thought about someone on my team that is looking for more responsibility. I asked her if she would be interested in something like this. She was so excited. And um, I went back to my client, told them that, yes, we can do it. My team member was so happy to be elevated into that role. And it was a win-win situation all around.
0: Wow. That's amazing. And guess what? You just answered my question with a story. That was really cool.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So the stories really, really help. Um, And, you know, people are always like, I don't want to do interview prepping. And I got this. I know my stories. But when we really drill down into it, it's a fun process. And when you have this arsenal of stories, it helps you so much. Yeah.
0: And it's important to prepare those stories beforehand. Obviously, they have to be true, but it's important to tell your sort of story or practice telling your story so you know when to sort of bring that up and insert it in the conversation and deliver it with confidence and remember the whole story properly so that it really rolls off the tongue because, you know, a lot of this is about confidence as well. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people answer that question with, it's It's kind of a question that that's designed, I think it's a power question that's almost... Designed to make people squirm because you know, you can't answer it negatively. You know, you can't say, Well, I'm really disorganized. You have to say something almost cheesy, like, Oh, I just, I feel I'm just too focused on the task at hand, or I'm a perfectionist, you know. But the very best answer that I've heard to the question, What's your biggest weakness? is chocolate. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) That's the answer. Uh, Most people can agree. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I hope somebody's actually said that in an interview.
1: Oh my um, gosh, that would be great.
0: The other one that I don't particularly like is, why do you want to work here? What do you think of that one?
1: Mm, Why do you want to work here? I mean, for me, at least it's, again, like looking at the job description, the company, and just knowing like, what can I bring to the table? Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, I, I have some people that are like, you know, when I ask that question in terms of like prepping they'll start reading me off of the website. Like if they're interviewing at Microsoft or something, they're like telling me why they love Microsoft. And it's like, no, like that's not it, you know, but it's really like, what's the role? What can you bring with it? Who, who can you become by, by being there? What's the, you know, I think what people are looking for is enthusiasm and that passion mm-hmm. and that, you know, the job that you've actually applied for, because I'm sure, you know, as a recruiter, believe it or not, we talk to so many people that don't even know what jobs they apply to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so so true. But quite often you don't know whether you do want to work there yet because you're still in the interview process. And I, if I'm interviewing with a company, which I haven't done for a long time, but if I was, I wouldn't be sure yet because for me, it's about the people as much as it is Mm. about whatever the product or the service or anything that they're doing or providing in the market. I'm really interested. And this is how I always advise candidates to evaluate companies is, you know, look for good people, look for good teams, look for great leadership, you know, look for a culture of inspiration, development, empowerment, and appreciation, um, look for all these things. So I mm. think quite often people don't know whether they want to work there yet. Um, and quite often they've been headhunted. So they're like, well, you asked me to come for the interview. So
1: exactly. that's,
0: that's always interesting. Um, a crazy one that I heard once was, if you were a box of cereal, which one would you be? Which is pretty mm. mad. I'd say Rice Krispies because I bring a lot of snap, crackle and pop to the party.
1: Oh, I like that one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the other one I heard, which it. I love, and I, I don't yeah. know how I'd answer this. Apparently this is a Google question was, how many golf balls can you fit into a 747? Oh my gosh. I'm sure there's a very clever answer to that question.
1: Yeah. I had worked at a physical therapy uh, company for many, many years. And this was a question that I had asked, and it was really just to have fun was, and, and I don't know the body like this at all. It was just a fun question was if you were to be, um, any um, muscle or ligament or part of the body? What would you be and why? Wow! And it was just fun because people would say the funnest thing. I had this one guy tell me he there's a certain muscle that is used to pick up a glass and to remember pour this it is for PMO. children as well. Yes. And so, no, this is for drinking. He said he would choose that muscle because we're drinking alcohol. So right. I would get these really creative things and I w- they weren't being graded on it. It was just fun to ask and for me to learn about the different ligaments and stuff of the body.
0: Yeah. Fun interview questions. But that's, you know, some great advice today. I really love the whole storytelling concept because the, the kind of advice that I've always given candidates is really focused on turning the interview into a conversation. So that you avoid that whole Spanish inquisition. And I I usually say to candidates, you know, every time you answer a question, ask a question back, you know, turn it into a conversation because it's as much about your evaluation of the client or the company as it is about their evaluation of you. And so turn it into a conversation and really get serious about understanding, you know, the vision of the company, the, the culture of the company. And most importantly, what success looks like in that role. That's always a great question. What does success look like in this role six months from now, a year from now? And, and you know, turn the tables a little bit on your interviewer to make sure you understand what they're looking for before you give away all the good stuff. Because if you can figure out what's important to them, what's their hot buttons, then you can reconcile accurately the stories that do actually impact that particular hiring manager and and resonate with them so that you do get the job offer.
1: Yes, I love that. And Marcus, I don't know if you've seen this at all, but or if you do this, but after someone goes on an interview, we have a follow-up call. How did the interview go? What did you like? What didn't you like? And nine times out of 10, when I say, like, what do you like about the interview? They tell me all the things that they may have done wrong in the interview or the things that they think that they were being graded on that were negative. And they don't really tell me A lot of people never start off telling me about what they really liked about the job. It's more like, here's how I may have messed up, or here's where I think I went wrong. And so I really like what you said about turning the tables and really having it be an interview and a conversation, because um, that's what this is. This is a process of people connecting with each other. It's not one above the other, because at the end of the day, we're seeing if this is a good fit for both parties, not just one.
0: Yeah, it's peer-to-peer. It's not slave-to-master. Exactly. And to your point there about calling up candidates to follow up, I think maybe a better question to ask is, tell me about your interview experience. First, tell me what you liked about the company. What did you like about the hiring manager? What do you like about the opportunity? Because if you can get your candidate to get those words out, they'll hear themselves saying good things and positive things about the role and they can't take those back. And that gives you something to work with later when you're negotiating, because you can sort of basically say, I remember you telling me all the things that you've liked about the job and, and the role after your first interview. And I think you need to make those concrete and reinforce those feelings by having your candidate you know, express what they really liked about the role before they tell you what they didn't like so much about the role. Anyway, Adrian Dinkalaka, thank you so much for coming on Recruiting Trailblazers. You're a good sport congratulations to you and your sister on the Atlas Group. I know you're growing the organization right now and I know that you're doing very well. So kudos to you and um, really appreciate you coming along on the podcast today. Thanks a lot.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Marcus. I love your podcast and appreciate everything you do. Thank you.
0: Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye.